Hello, everyone. This is Richard Beatty with Mind Matters. This week on Mind Matters, Rita Schulte and I continue our conversation with Dr. Edwin Lutzer. That's coming up on Mind Matters. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. This week on Mind Matters, it's time to turn down the noise and listen to what really matters. Join counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, in renewing your mind, because your mind matters. So come on in and join us. We're going to talk a little bit next about uh, true racial reconciliation and, uh, and why Black Lives Matter has been really the opposite of reconciliation, which you address in your book. So, Rita? Yeah. yeah. So welcome back, uh, Dr. Lutzer, and shift gears a little bit to talk about you know race relations and why it's so tense and what's going on here in America that's kind of got us to this point. And then maybe, you know, talk a little bit about the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, and you're referencing my book, We Will Not Be Silenced, where I yes. discuss this in some yes. detail. What we must recognize is that racial tension is intentional. Saul Alinsky here in Chicago realized that he could apply Marxism to race because Marxism says that there's the oppressed and then there's the oppressor. So what you have today is a division between the oppressed and the oppressors. And of course, it is applied to race. So you have books like White Fragility, which basically says we have to fight racism by becoming racists. And what we have to do is to categorize people on the basis of skin color, which was, of course, opposite to Martin Luther King, who said that we should not judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So they turn their backs on that, and they now want to judge people on the basis of their skin color. So if you're born white, you're a person of privilege. You may be born in poverty and be an orphan somewhere, but still, because you're white, you're a person of privilege. If you are of another color, a minority, even if you're successful and are able to earn millions of dollars, you're still not a person of privilege because of your skin color. And so what we have is this division. In the book that you're referencing, I quote a black um, a member of the team here at the Moody Church, I asked him, he said, we are growing farther and farther, all the, uh, farther and farther apart all the time. And he said, furthermore, unless whites meet certain expectations, which he said are impossible, there is no way that there can be racial reconciliation. So he recognized that this was all manufactured. And uh, if, if um, your personhood and your um, power is oppression, you will hang on to it for, uh, until your knuckles turn white. So what we have today is this division, which of course is called critical race theory, where you put people into various boxes 
And uh, you, of course, divide them in that way. Now, what's important to realize is that the real issue is not white supremacy, it's woke supremacy. In other words, what you have to do is to go along with this, or else you are deemed to be a racist and so forth. So critical race theory divides the race. It does not have any interest in bringing the races together. Now, let's look at this through the lens of the Bible. What's so important is, number one, strictly speaking, there's only one race, Paul said in Acts 17, that God has made from one blood all the nations of the earth. And by the way, he says he's also determined the bounds of their habitation. God is in favor of borders. I might throw that in. But also, what you have is various ethnicities. Now, there is a transcendent unity between all believers in Jesus Christ, and we need to be able to demonstrate that. But here's a verse of Scripture that is so important. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, I can assure you they had their differences, mm-hmm. huge differences, bond or free. In other words, whether you're a slave or not a slave. Whether you are a barbarian, now I have to tell you that barbarians acted barbarically, whether you're a barbarian or a Scythian, they were marauders who went throughout the country stealing stuff that wasn't theirs. Paul says, in Christ you're one, and Christ is all and in all. Now, here's the point. Did they agree on everything? No. Were they one in Christ? Yes. That did not mean, by the way, that when they were one in Christ that they lost their ethnicity. Jews were still Jews. Greeks were still Greeks. But what they needed to do is to work to seek about a kind of reconciliation, a kind of unity, which was difficult to achieve then, even as it is now. And uh, they must see each other as in one as one in Christ. So, Critical race theory keeps tearing apart what Jesus died to bring together. So what we must see is that Jesus Christ's death was to unite the races. It was not to keep permanent division of accusation and shaming and all the rest. And unless we recapture that as churches, our churches are going to be split. They're going to be fragmented over racial and political issues instead of seeing the transcendent unity that we have in Jesus Christ. So then what should be the response of the church amidst all this hostility of the culture? Well, one thing we cannot do is to continue to shout at one another across racial fences. So what we have to do is to work together and we have to see our united front, so to speak, as best we can. Here in the city of Chicago, there are plenty of churches that are trying to do just that. At the Moody Church, where I served for 36 years, on any Sunday morning, we had more than 70 countries of origin. And uh, we didn't necessarily work at it. We just accepted everyone. We were uh, willing to embrace different cultures. But at the same time, we were still who we were. And uh, 
there was a sense in which we rejoiced in that unity because, you know, ultimately, Revelation chapter 5, there are going to be people from every tongue and people and nation. To the extent that we can, we should mirror that on earth. Are we going to be able to do that perfectly? No, because various ethnicities have various uh, characteristics and so forth. Now, here at the Moody Church, there have been some marvelous ministries. One that I would like to commend to your audience is By the Hand Club for Kids. It was begun here 20 years ago, and it works in under-resourced communities to give education, to give help. And it's been around for 20 years, and its results are incredible, even have to do with uh, learning and so forth, because children are individually tutored as they have needs. So there are ways that we can work together and we have to seek for more, but we cannot spend all of our time blaming and shaming. We have to move beyond that to a more God-honoring future. Mm. Yeah, good words. So one of the longest chapters in the book is on socialism. Why is it so attractive and why does it need to fall? Socialism is attractive because after all, don't we all seek equality? (laughs) Now we have equality of value as human beings, but that word equality is so misused. If you are going to have economic equality, The only way you can do that is through tyranny. That's what Russia and China have tried to do, is they have economic equality. Well, the way you do this is you, of course, try to equalize everything, but that means that there are no entrepreneurs. There's no real desire to get ahead because if you do, the money is going to be taken from you anyway and distributed so that everybody has equality. So it's attractive because um, what is more attractive than saying we want to take the money from the rich, it's unfair, and give it to the poor? Well, first of all, capitalism isn't uh, isn't perfect. That's why it's very obvious that it is oftentimes consumed by greed. But just remember this, that those who aren't capitalists are also consumed by greed. And what you have is, therefore, a state of affairs in which um, there's a lack of motivation, a sense that there's no use me working hard because I'm going to get paid no matter what. I use in the book the illustration of being in Russia and someone saying to us that the... um, taxi drivers who take American tourists and so forth, or even the doctors that are in the hospital get paid very little more than the people who work in the hospital. Taxi drivers, by the way, get the most because they get American money. But the point is, what's the motivation to be a doctor if it's not going to increase your wages? Exactly. I point out that uh, in Israel, for example, a kibbutz was going to be run according to socialist principles. And um, what they discovered was this, that people left their lights on. They brought their dogs to the dining hall. Why? Because everything is free. 
and there is no cost. And they discovered that it became a paradise for parasites. And that's human nature. The big failing of Marx is he thought that people would wake up in the morning excited to work for the state. Well, that's not the way it is. And that's why ultimately socialism has to collapse because the state runs out of money. You know, to quote the words of the British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, pretty soon you run out of other people's money. So what do you do? Only one thing left, print more. And that's what's happened in countries that have collapsed because you end up printing, printing, printing until inflation is through the roof and you have nowhere to go. That's where socialism leads us. And by the way, America has printed too much money. We cannot spend our way into prosperity. And we must understand that. And I think I point that out also in my book, When a Nation Forgets God. Mm. Another interesting chapter is on how the radical left is teaming up with Islam to destroy America. Can you talk about that? Well, what's very interesting is that when 9-11 happened, there were so many leftists who went online and elsewhere to defend Islam. Because after all, this happened because America deserved it, right? Because right. We, are, we are the bullies. And by the way, speaking of worldwide socialism, what you must do is to take socialism and think of it as the rich. America is the richest country. And remember what Marx thought, that those who become rich always do it on the backs of the poor. That's why America owes the world. And of course, this can be done through climate change and other things, which I also discuss in the book. But back to the idea, what happened is people began to defend Islam. The reason that the radical left does that is that there are two goals of Islam that are consistent with the radical left. One is the destruction of Christianity and any influence it might have, and the other is the destruction of um, democracy, because neither can survive in a, in a uh, Muslim country. So what you have is the left has the same agenda. Now, if they were to destroy America, they'd have two very different visions for the future. Islam would have one vision, the radical left would have another. But for the time being, they are bedfellows because mm. they have the same goals in mind. So that's very important for us to recognize that the left will even defend radical Islam because it is like a sledgehammer against our culture. Yeah, and against Christianity for sure. So you have a chapter titled Vilify, Vilify, Vilify. How are disagreements being resolved today? And can you give examples of you know, what this means for the church? Well, if you go on social media, and I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but I know people who do, everybody is mad. Oh, everybody, everybody. is at a low <laughs> a rage. They're just on a low-grade boil. That's I mean, right. it's That's unbelievable. Right. So opinions which used to be presented with respect are now being blurted out with a lot of anger and a lot of exaggeration. 
And that appears on both sides of the ledger. So the way you do it today is you don't discuss the issues. So the way you do it today is you don't have a respectful discussion. You go to social media and you sound off. There used to be a time in America when we had gatekeepers, you know, when if you published a book, it had to be reasonable and so forth. When you had way out opinions, you know, you had somebody who helped you to resolve that and show that you were wrong. But not today. You just go online, begin to criticize, make accusations without any proof, and just sound off. And yet that's exactly what is happening. So the chapter vilify, vilify, vilify gives examples of how this is done for those who reject transgenderism. You are vilified. Those who are pro-life are vilified, and we see that happening today. And so you don't reason, you just vilify people. So what what can the church do about this? Because the call is to the church. I mean, your call is strengthen that which remains. I mean, well, yes, the last chapter of my book, We Will Not Be Silenced, is taken from the words of Jesus to the church at Sardis. Sardis where he says, strengthen what remains. And what I do in that chapter is to show what Jesus might say to us as a church, particularly regarding sexual issues and the surrender of evangelicalism to the sexuality of our culture and to the beliefs of our culture. And what we need to do is to recognize that it's better for us to tell the truth, even if we are thought hateful, than to whisper lies to people about the LGBTQ agenda or about transgenderism and so forth. We must stand for truth. And uh, what I do is I emphasize that. We also have to understand that we stand for the gospel. And the gospel does not allow us to combine Christianity with other religions as people today want to do. You know, it's a cafeteria style. I take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I come up with my own concoction. That is not Christianity. It is something else. So what I want to do in that chapter is to call the church back to what it was, namely an island of righteousness and a sea of paganism and stand for Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. So how would that translate into the parent who's facing her child coming home and says, I'm transgender, I want to be a man? Or, I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? I have lots of thoughts about that. And Rand, who was not a fan of Christianity, said you can avoid reality, but you can't avoid the consequences of avoiding reality. What you have to do is to recognize that um, that this is a false belief because biology determines whether you're a man and a woman, not your internal self-perception. For example, somebody with anorexia, and you as a counselor would know this, Rita, they look in the mirror and they see themselves as overweight. Yes. They aren't. Should we tell them that maybe their self-perception is wrong? I think so. 
But there are those who would say, no, let them die, because after all, only they know who they are and who are we to intervene. So what you need to do is to help your child see you're cutting off all possibilities of ever being a biological parent. You are out there and you are in the midst of a struggle internally. The best illustration I can give is Caitlyn Jenner. Mm. Caitlyn Jenner, when he was interviewed recently after Father's Day, he said something very interesting. He receives flowers from one of his biological children on Father's Day, and he says, I appreciate it. And furthermore, he says, I will be my children's father as long as I live or as long as they live. Now, here's the thing. Have we come to the point in society where we have said a woman can father children? That shows the absurdity of it. And if he was a woman back there, he should never have competed in the uh, Olympic Games as a man. He should have competed as a woman. And um, so all that, remember this, George Orwell is credited with saying there are some ideas that are so absurd that only intellectuals believe them. Yeah, I read that in the book. Yeah. Dr. Lutzer, uh, here we are, we're in a world that's obsessed with, with the abortion issue uh, right now. Uh, I turned on my car radio and I, I listened to uh, NPR and every news program was about the Supreme Court and their opinion. Uh, th- there's no objectivity anymore uh, about uh uh, and, and then also slippery slope arguments about uh, because of this decision, you're going to see back alley abortions and you're going to see all the things that they said were uh, were going to happen back when Roe was passed. Objectivity in media right now is uh, and for a long time, probably since Watergate has uh, has gone to a place where journalism and the pursuit of truth in journalism is is has become as relative as the world is. Um, is that going to is that going to have to change, or is it going to continue to get worse and worse as we uh, we face these these really big issues right now? Well, in my book, I quote Churchill, who said, "The desire to believe something is much more powerful than rational arguments." Yes. So what you have in the liberal media is the desire to believe something against all rationality. For example, you have get your hands off my body and my body, my choice. choice. Okay, fine. But um, you have another body that's growing within you. Who inhabits your body? Another body. So do you have the right to kill the body that is growing within you. It is a separate body with separate arms and legs and oftentimes with a heartbeat at that point. So that's a body too. So you have the right to kill that body. Very few people make that point. Obviously, if Mary had had an abortion, Jesus would not have been born. So we have to help people to see that it's not just my body, my choice. And by the way, where were all these people when uh, 
there was an emphasis on forks, forced vaccinations. Exactly my, my point. My body, my choice. So we live in an age of irrationality, but um, is it going to get better? I don't foresee it getting better because of the power of the leftist media. But that doesn't mean that we should curl up and uh, avoid the culture. It just means that we have some new challenges and we have to speak to the culture. Beautiful. We can't be silent. And that's uh, uh, that's exactly what your book is about. Yeah. And, so and, where can people uh, find the book, Dr. Lutzer? You know, uh, if you want to find the book, we will not be silenced. You can go on Amazon, but also ChristianBook.com. ChristianBook.com or Amazon. We will not be silenced. And by the way, if you go on Amazon, you might see that the book has over 3,000 reviews. Wow. So the title of the book is We Will Not Be Silenced. You can go to Amazon or ChristianBook.com. Thank you so much. You're so wise, and we are so blessed to have you on the show and to have you being a, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Well, thank you, and God bless you. That was Dr. Edwin Lutzer here on Mind Matters. The Great Divide doesn't need another media platform. We are in need of a media bridge. Dr. Edwin Lutzer articulates that on our radio program, Mind Matters, with licensed counselor and author Rita Schulte. Socialism is a dangerous course. Print more money. A feast in paradise for parasites. As a journalist, we start with objectivity. Same as the scientist, the artist, and the driver of any automobile. Objects in the mirror are closer than how they appear. The objective. Rita Schulte and I will be discussing this on Mind Matters. People have purpose. Called to be objective. You can avoid reality. You cannot avoid the consequences of reality. When people become aware of the consequences of our past, present, and future reality and admit that we are dealing with a latent mental health crisis and a creative crisis, they will and are asking the church where they can find help for their family members to reverse a decision from their creator's gender assignment to one that they were coerced into. These are all my matters. Is the church ready for the rush of millions of a post-Roe nation and a post-abortive culture? The church is there for them, too, as it was for the old slave trader John Newton. That's what Amazing Grace does. If you are looking for help, answers, or counseling, an audiobook or a counselor in your area, contact us at RitaSchulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E dot com. For Rita Schulte, I'm Richard Beatty. Always remember that your mind matters. A Crawford original radio program from Sound Century presents.